Look at that, you're all sitting down this time too without me having to say anything. Our scripture reading for this evening is from Isaiah chapter 9, which you'll notice was the same text that we had for um, the lighting of our Advent wreath. I'll let you turn there if you would like to. Um, And you probably assume that that's because we're really good at planning these sorts of things and, you know, and had planned it out that way. And we're going to go with that. But um, (laughs) I'm not going to read through it again because Stan and Dolores did a wonderful job. But would you pray with me as we come to the Lord's word? Oh, Father, I just ask as our hearts are just lifted um, as we look forward to your coming, still heavy from all of the things that trouble us and that we remember in Advent, but hopeful that you have broken into the world, that you would be near to all of us, speaking the hope of the Incarnation. Be near us sinners as we desperately need it, and be with me a sinner as I seek to proclaim it. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. These words from Isaiah chapter 9, which we heard at the beginning of our service, have provided the theme for our Advent series this year, if you've been with us. They're the words that Jesus took up to describe himself in Matthew 4, and they're the words that John uses at the beginning of his gospel. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. As we have walked through this season, up until now, this season of expectation and preparation, we have spent a lot of time reflecting on the darkness. The darkness that's created by our sin in the world and by sinful systems and the darkness in our own hearts. But tonight... As we prepare our hearts for Christmas, I want us to just spend a little bit of time reflecting on and celebrating the light. Christians are people at the end of the day of good news. That's what it means to believe in the gospel. That word means good news. And when we think about the good news, that doesn't mean that we ignore the darkness. In fact, there's a real sense in which we have to appreciate the darkness and the evil in the world to understand the good news of what God is saving us from. But the darkness isn't where we're called to live at the end of the day. We're called to live in the light and to spread and rejoice in that good news. So what is that good news? Well, in this text from Isaiah, it is summarized as peace. Jesus is coming to create final and lasting peace. As verse 7 says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. But peace in that word there is a lot deeper than we usually appreciate. When we talk about peace, we usually mean like not actively trying to destroy each other. But in Hebrew, the word for peace is shalom. And you might have heard that word before. We talked about it if you've been with us back in Romans 5. Or if you know someone who is Jewish, maybe you've heard them use it as a greeting. Shalom, peace be with you. And that word means a lot more than just not actively trying to destroy each other. This whole passage from Isaiah is a declaration of peace. And so what I want us to do is just look at what that passage includes in that idea of peace. And then talk a little bit about what it means for us. So first, let's look at the peace that Jesus brings, according to Isaiah. The peace that he brings. 
In Isaiah chapter 9, peace includes a bunch of different things. First, it does mean an end to violence and conflict. In 9.5, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. This world is full of violence, war and civil strife and murder and abuse, and Isaiah is saying that that will be ended in the peace that Jesus brings. There will be no more violence, and not even the, the idea or possibility of violence. He's saying that even like the boots that you wore into battle, people would look at and say, well, what are these for? And they'd just throw them into the fire. Here's how Isaiah describes that peace back in chapter 2. He says, He, the Lord, will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples and they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So if I could update the imagery, it's saying that that he's bringing a world where, where tanks are only good for like park decorations, right? For children to climb on and a world where bombshells are only good to plant flowers in. So peace includes an end of violence, but it includes more than that in the way that Scripture pictures it. Here it also includes the end of all oppression. So verse 4 of Isaiah 9, For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. We live in a world where people are oppressed in all kinds of ways. Some of them are obvious, There are still 40 million slaves in the world today, and there are people who live in fear of military dictators and brothers and sisters in Christ who face persecution for their faith and people all over the world who, because of their race or religion or because they're a woman or whatever, are legally discriminated against. And then there's all the petty oppressions even beyond that that are true in our world, right? Tyrant bosses in workplaces and um, cruel parents or spouses, and the peace Jesus brings means an end to all of that as well. A yoke was this thing you would put on your neck, um, on like a cow or on the neck of a slave, and it says that this coming Savior shatters that yoke. He lifts the bars from the shoulders of those who are enslaved. He breaks the rod, which is the symbol of power of the oppressor. And the peace Jesus brings means the end of all injustice in Isaiah. It's in the middle of verse 7 there. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. He will reign as a king of justice and righteousness. And the central part of what kings in the Old Testament did was act as judges. That People would come to them with disputes or disagreements, and the king would decide between them. And in Jesus' kingdom, Isaiah is saying, it is God himself who hears those disagreements and works justice between them with his perfect goodness and wisdom. Justice in our world is always warped. Even here in the U.S., right, it's warped. There's a reason that um, poor people go to jail and rich people get probation, right? And it's far worse in other parts of the world. And Isaiah is proclaiming the end to that, too. And even more than that, when he talks about peace, he's talking not just about ending all that bad stuff, but he means the growth of what I guess I'd call flourishing. The growth of flourishing, which is a weird word, but I don't know a better way to express it. Here's how he says it in verse 3. He says, 
You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy, and they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and as warriors rejoice while dividing the plunder. So God's people are growing and overflowing with bounty and joy, becoming what they were meant to be. The Isaiah, one of, one of the images Isaiah uses there, which I love, although it's easy to miss, he's talking about this moment when the harvest is gathered in, right? You picture that in this society where everybody's a farmer and he's saying that there's this moment when you've, you've cut all the wheat and you've put it all in silos and you've pressed all the, the olives because this is, you know, ancient Israel and, and you've got the jars of, of olive oil and, you know, and the grapes are all bottled and fermenting and the vegetables are all in the cellar and there's this moment where you look and you survey all of that and you're like, this is good. And he's saying that that moment is meant to be the state in which all of us live all the time. Or just to put it another way, here's how Isaiah describes peace later in chapter 65. Let me just, let me just read this description he gives of the world at peace to you. And just you can close your eyes if you want, but just, just listen to this. He says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping, the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, or bear children for calamity, or for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. That is the peace that Isaiah says the Messiah Jesus is coming to bring. And here's why Scripture promises that. In Scripture, everything is broken. Our relationship with God, our good creator, is broken. And because of that, everything else is broken too. Our relationships with each other are broken because of that. Our relationships with ourselves are broken. Our bodies are broken. Our minds are broken. Our relationship to creation itself is broken. And so creation itself ends up being broken. And when the Old Testament talks about shalom, about peace, there's a sense in which it's first connected to God himself. Isaiah 65, what I just read, said it there, that they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. But the hope is that as that relationship is restored, that everything gets restored along with it. That every other broken thing starts to be healed as well. Because we are at peace with God, peace reigns in all of creation. And that is shalom. And that is what Isaiah is saying that this Messiah, Jesus, is coming to bring. I describe all of that, and I know that there's this question that all of us kind of have about how that fits with our experience of the world. But hold on to that question. We'll talk about it in just a minute, but first I just want to point out why this matters, okay? Why this image of what Jesus is coming to work matters. 
what are the things, when you boil it down, that human beings care about, right? Have you ever thought about what's, what's the list of things down at root that humans care about? I mean, here's just some basic ones, like safety, right? People want to know that they're going to be safe. And justice, they want to know that work will be rewarded and that evil will be punished. And friendship and meaningful relationships with people. And people care and worry about provision, right? Whether they're going to be able to meet their needs. They care about doing something meaningful, having work in the world that matters and doing something that's significant. And you could probably keep listing things, but let's use that, right? That's our list of the kinds of things that people care about. Too often, I think, in our culture, when people talk about Christianity, what they think it offers is this. It is not going to hell when you die. And I am not saying that that doesn't matter, because it does, okay? Um, if 100%, go back and listen a few weeks ago when we preached on Psalm 2 and talked about some of those things. That's great and fine, but people rarely find themselves moved simply by that promise. But the thing is, the hope of Christianity is not that. It's not just not burning. The hope of Christianity is shalom. It's that peace that we described. And the thing about shalom is that it actually speaks to all of those desires. It speaks to that desire for safety. And it speaks to that desire for justice. And it speaks to that desire for good, right relationships. And, and all of that. Shalom is actually the thing that all of those desires are pointing us towards. The sense of this world working rightly in the way that it's meant to. Which means that it is good and appropriate to desire those things. God's not opposed to those longings in our heart. He simply is telling us, and Christianity is telling us, that the way to find them ultimately fulfilled is in him, rather than in chasing after earthly things. So that's the promise, the type of peace that Jesus comes to bring. Then, like I said, there's a question that we all have, right? Which is, how does that fit with our experience of the world right now? How does that fit with the brokenness and darkness all around us? And that is where we need to say two things side by side. Two things that exist in tension with each other, okay? And the first is that that peace is still to come. That peace is still to come. Some Christians, when they hear that promise of peace, they say, well, that must be, if I'm a Christian, the way that the world is supposed to work for me right now. That is this promise that I should fully experience in this life. And that's a mistake. There are some really obvious versions of that mistake in our world. Maybe the most obvious one is those prosperity teachers you hear on TV, right? Who basically just come and say, man, if you just, if you just believe it enough and trust Jesus enough and give a small donation to my ministry, you know, you'll have that peace and your diseases will be healed and you'll have, you know, big paychecks and everything will be wonderful and shalom will be now. And that's wrong. There are other subtler versions of that lie. Other ways that we're promised that the world will be right and shalom will reign in this age. Honestly, one of the ones I think in our day that most affects us is the promise of politics. That we get caught up in some promise that if we just kind of accomplish this certain set of goals, right, in our government, that the world would be healed and the brokenness would be gone and everything would be good. And those goals can vary based on your particular political leanings, right? 
But the promise at the end of the day is still wrong. It's that the world can just be fixed in this age. What all of that fails to appreciate is that for Christians, this promise of shalom is not something that will be fully realized in this life. What this text pictures is not yet fully here. If you look at verse 7, describing the reign of this Messiah, it says, Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. That language isn't completed yet. It's not done at Christmas, and it won't be complete until Jesus returns. Right now, Jesus is reigning in heaven, but his reign isn't yet fully realized. It's what we pray for when we pray the Lord's Prayer and say, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that peace is still to come, and yet there's another mistake that we can make, and that is to think that because there's a sense in which it's still to come, that it's not here at all. Because as much as that peace is only fully realized when Jesus returns, that peace has begun at Christmas. That peace has begun. If you look at verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah is talking in some sense about this thing that's still future in the reign of Christ, and in another sense this thing that is here from the moment of his birth. I mean, look at the names he gives Jesus. He says, Wonderful Counselor. That's a description of the Messiah's wisdom and righteousness, but even more that he's making that wisdom and righteousness known to us, that he is a counselor to us. He's revealing God to us. And he's mighty God. That word mighty in Hebrew means hero. It's saying that he's this like God hero who comes to save and do battle. This Messiah is the one coming to defeat sin and death and all of our great enemies. And he is everlasting father, which isn't Isaiah talking about the Trinity and confusing the persons of the Trinity for the three of you that care about those things, but he's picturing the Messiah as in this relationship with his people as a father to his children, that through him we become children of God, and that he's the prince of peace, that he's the one bringing peace, and that he's the one who actually embodies it. And the thing is that all of those names are true, not just of Jesus in the future, but of Jesus right now. That he, he has made God known to us. He is God's hero who in his death and resurrection has defeated those enemies. He is working so that we might be called children of God. And he is right now this one embodying God's peace. And so as much as there is a sense in which the good news is still future... There is another sense in which it is for us right now. It is something that we look forward to and something that we look backward to. Which means that Christmas teaches us two things about shalom at once. It teaches us that shalom is both our hope and our mission statement. It is both our hope and our mission statement. So it is our hope in that we cannot buy the lie that it's going to be fully realized in this life. 
right? We, it's, it's something that we're looking forward to and longing for. But it is also not only future. It has come with Jesus and is at work in the world right now. Which means that as we step out of Advent and into Christmas, what we should be asking is this simple question. You look around the world and you say, where is shalom lacking, right? In all those different dimensions, in all of those ways, where is peace lacking? And then when you see it, you ask, how can I be at work bringing that peace where it's lacking? So our relationships, right? They won't be fully healed until Jesus returns, no. There will still be distance and hurt and sin, but the Prince of Peace has come, and so we should be doing everything we can to bring peace to those broken relationships. That we should be seeking to serve each other and to repent and forgive each other and find that peace realized in our relationships in this age. Or the hurt and injustice in the world, that's not going to be fully healed until Jesus returns. There will be oppression and violence and wounds, but the Prince of Peace has come, and so we should do everything we can in the place that we are in the world to bring peace, to work for justice and show mercy and help those who live among us in need. Our flourishing will not be fully realized until Jesus returns. Work will still at times be fruitless, and life will not bring the blessings that we feel like it should. But the Prince of Peace has come, and so we work as those whose citizenship is in that coming kingdom, where we will ultimately find our reward. That's what it means to live out Christmas, to recognize and long for that peace, and seek to bring it as we're able into our place. I mentioned this image this morning, but I'll repeat it here. In just a couple minutes, we're going to be passing the light from the Christ candle um, to each other. And that is, in a sense, a picture of this mission. That God has come to us in Jesus as the Prince of Peace. And that our calling is to find and recognize that peace in him. And to begin, as we're able to, to share it with those around us. And one day when he returns, the blazing glory of God will shine forth. And that peace, right, will will, will shine like the sun. But in this age, it is still present with us. There is still a light. The people walking in darkness, as Isaiah says, have seen this great light. And the zeal of the Lord will bring it to completion. Would you pray with me? Father, I long for you to bring peace. Pray that you would be bringing it, and I anticipate that day in Jesus Christ when it will be fulfilled. I pray that as we experience peace with you, that we might work for that peace in the world. I give you thanks for the peace that you have worked with us. Pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.